You may be seated. Well, it's a wonderful morning. It's a wonderful morning to be with God's people gathered here today. It's wonderful to see your faces as we gather together. I've been praying for you. You've been on my heart. You've been on my mind. I just want to pray that our church would continue to proclaim the, the name of the Lord. As I scan the landscape of our nation, nothing troubles me more than to see the state of the church pre-2020 when we enjoyed relative peace. I say relative. Many churches were focused on prosperity and church growth through pragmatism. They focused on how to attract people. They were uh, using, many of them, using what they called the attractional model. I will never forget visiting one of these churches in Southern California. We took our children to Sunday school, and the Sunday school room was this huge game room, which would put Chuck E. Cheese to shame. In all seriousness, that's what they did for most of the hour, and I'm sure uh, they, they probably got some sort of lesson, which I would, I would shudder to think what it, what, what it was, but but that's what they were focused on. And while these churches did not fail to entertain, many of them, many of those churches failed to equip their people in the Word of God. Uh, the sermon that we heard that day, we were there for, for a, a, a uh, close person in our lives. That's the sermon we heard there that day. I walked out and said Spurgeon would turn over in his grave if he heard that sermon. They were just giving their people spiritual candy when they needed true sustenance. And let me give you the result. In 2018, Ligonier Ministries, they do this every two years, and one's coming up in 2020, they conducted a survey called the State of Theology. In that survey, 65% of evangelicals, those who would be in our camp, if you will, agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. In that survey, they also, only 35% realized that God, well, I'm saying the same thing in a different way, that God, or that Jesus, that is, is God, very God. And another part of that survey, that is, 52% of evangelicals said that everyone sends a little, but most people are good by nature. That flatly contradicts the Word of God, which teaches that every human being is corrupted by sin. None are good, not even one. That's Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. Notice I said for all, have, for all sin. I shouldn't say that have sin. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Stephen Nichols, the academic officer of Ligonier Ministries, rightly states this, As the culture around us increasingly abandons its moral compass, professing evangelicals are sadly drifting away from God's absolute standard in Scripture. It's clear that the church does not have the luxury of idly standing by. This is a time for Christians to study Scripture diligently, engage confidently with people in our culture, and witness fearlessly to the identity and saving work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. End quote. As I said, another one of these surveys is coming out in September, next month of 2020. I'm hopeful and praying for improvement, but what we have to do is we have to continue to focus on learning and growing in the Word of God. That's what we're focused on here at Grace Bible Church. Now, last week I posed the question, have you ever wondered why this boring guy gets up every Sunday and teaches and preaches? Have you ever wondered why that is so central to the church's mission and even survival? Well, we'll continue to explore the answer to that question this morning in the text. Let me pray for the sermon, 
And let me read then Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would bless the sermon, this, uh, the delivery of the sermon. We ask that you would bless for the, the listeners so they may understand and hear with spiritual ears and be able to take action based on what they've heard. Pray for the preacher this morning, Father, that I would be clear, concise, Father, that I would only preach your word, not my opinions. In Christ's name, amen. Let me read Ephesians. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, as you know, these past several months have been full of uncertainty and unrest among the people of this nation. We are in the middle of a pandemic, which no one ultimately completely understands. Which has created much confusion. Churches have been forced to close, with some defying those orders. We've yet to see the full fallout from all that's going on with these things. I, I read a, a few days ago that it is, it is expected that as many as 20% of those who regularly attended church prior to the pandemic may never return. Many, many workers are still out of their job and they're working out of jobs and they're working from home or working from home. Some schools are reopening while others are staying closed. Several of our UF undergrads are staying in their hometown because classes have gone, especially the undergrad classes, have gone online, possibly, quite possibly changing the course of their lives. On a lighter note, college and NFL football may not start this year, which I can't imagine. But there it is. Seeing social unrest, we're seeing social unrest that's boiling over mostly due to uh, racial tensions. We see the, the George Floyd death. We also now have the Jacob Blake shooting uh, with the police being involved. We're also seeing in the run-up to the, we are in the run-up that is to the November elections with both parties having their conventions over the past two weeks. There's much unrest, right? Especially when you consider the divergent platforms of the major parties. We're witnessing, we are witnessing, major evangelical figures continue to fall from grace. I mean, I'm talking about all the things that have happened, right? Some major improprieties, right? Jerry Falwell, Jerry Falwell Jr., that is, and his family this past week, they, he stepped down, has resigned from Liberty University. I mean, we're talking about seismic shifts in our society, and it's affecting not only the society as a large, but it's at large, but it's affecting the church. Quite frankly, we could very well be seeing the death of a nation, a death that I will mourn because we may very well in the coming years lose many freedoms we have enjoyed. I will mourn the death, but I will not succumb to fear because I know that God 
will be even more glorified through great difficulties. I would argue that fear is at the root of the problem, and that fear may be leading us down the road to destruction as a people. We are placing our trust as a people in things that will not save us. People place their hope in shutdowns and, and quarantines. We shut down churches when there's nowhere else to receive true hope. We place our trust in vaccines and guidelines more than we do in the Almighty. More in the people who provide these things than we do in Christ. And that is a sad commentary for the church. Just last week I was texted a quote by John MacArthur. He said, you don't need an army to conquer a nation. All you need is fear, end quote. And I think he's right. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul begins a discussion regarding the coming day of the Lord. And in 5.2, he says this. He says this, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While some are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Said another way, what Paul is saying is the masses will be clamoring for peace and safety, and their corrupt leaders will be falsely promising these things, and they will use what? To control them. Fear. They will use fear to control them. This is the corrupt leaders that will be doing this. This is Paul describing this coming day of the Lord. And then destruction will come upon them, will overtake them like a thief. So when they're clamoring for peace and safety, the Lord will come and he will, he will judge. I'm sure the first part of this sounds familiar, but as Christians, we shouldn't be clamoring for safety. Right? We should know better. We should know that peace and safety, true peace and true safety, come from knowing Christ. Come from the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ is the one who is redeeming this world to himself, and he will make all things right. You know, the Bible makes a big deal out of having courage. Last week we looked at Numbers 13 and 14, which describes the, the spies' bad report to Moses and the people of Israel about the promised land, the land of Canaan. We saw the, the tragic results of the refusal, their refusal to enter the land. They were made to wander in the wilderness until every soul of the first generation dropped dead. That is except for the children along with Joshua and Caleb. You see, these men proved to be courageous in the face of the challenge. But their courage didn't come from within, did it? came from God. They trusted in what God said. You may recall that Joshua exhorted the, the congregation of Israel, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land. Joshua, along with Caleb, understood, they fully understood that we must trust the Lord's provision, especially in times of great difficulty. So here we are in the middle of a pandemic. Who should we be trusting? In Joshua 1, after the death of Moses, the Lord commanded Joshua to cross the, the Jordan to conquer the promised land. You see, God promised that he had given the land to him. And in verse 5 of Joshua chapter 1, God also bowed to him that no man will be able to stand before him all, the day, all his days. He says, you'll be just like Moses, and I'll be with you, and I will not fail you or forsake you. In verse 6, he says this, but you be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land. Then God gives Joshua the key to realizing this promise. In verse 7, he says again, Be strong and courageous, but be careful to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from, the, to, from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night. Does that remind you of something? Maybe Psalm chapter 1, meditating on the law day and night. 
He will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. In other words, Joshua, if you want to have success, you will meditate on my word, you will believe my promises, and you will obey my commands. Beloved, if you and I just follow these three commands, there wouldn't be any need for self-help books. If we just follow the, those commands, we wouldn't need to read the latest drivel on, on how to be successful. You want success? Well, that is God's definition of success. Then you must meditate on His Word, believe His promises, and obey His commands. That will bring you success. The right kind of success. Verse 9 of Joshua 1, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It should be incredibly clear by this point that God wants His people, all of His people, to be strong and courageous. But he especially wants his leaders to be strong and courageous. He wants his people to stand in the gap. And he wants his leaders to lead his people in that way. He doesn't want us to tremble or fear. Well, he wants us to fear. It's the right kind of fear. He wants us to fear him. Now, I want to apply these thoughts to Grace Bible Church. You see, we have said over and over, and we believe that Christ has promised to build His church. And yes, that promise extends to Grace Bible Church. We here, you are God's people. This is Christ's church. In a few months, we're coming up on four years since we planted Grace Bible Church. Christ has blessed us beyond measure. Even through the trials and struggles and difficulties, He continues to bless us. But we cannot shrink back. Even as a pandemic is in play, we cannot shrink back, but we must press on. We must be, in the words of Joshua, or in the Joshua 1, we must be strong and courageous, and we must Trust Christ, who is the Lord of this church. He has given us everything we need to carry out His mission. And there's no reason for us to fear the future, and there's no reason for us to look back except to see Christ's faithfulness to us. And there's absolutely no reason to have a wait-and-see attitude. How could we, unless we're fearing man, not Christ? These things are true for us, and they were true for the church at Ephesus. See, the church at Ephesus was going through very difficult challenges as well as we are. Greater challenges, I would argue. But according to the Apostle Paul, the church has been given the very power of God. He has given us, He has given the gifts of the Spirit to each of us. As Paul wrote this letter, he had been in prison for five years for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul used the first three chapters to explain the amazing truth of salvation which God calls us to. He ends those chapters in 3.20. Despite Paul's desperate situation, he boldly encouraged the church at Ephesus, he says this in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. But Paul, what power? What is this power that works within us? Well, believer, it is the power of the Holy Spirit which I would argue is expressed through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which you have been given. So, 
if we fail as a church, it isn't because we haven't been given the power. If we fail as a church, if we don't do the things that we need to do as a church, it's because we're not realizing the power that we have. In chapter 4, Paul begins to show the church how to walk in a manner that is worthy of this calling that he's described in, in the first three chapters. Ultimately, this worthy walk is, the, is one that preserves the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. <clears throat> we are called to this worthy walk so we can be effective in carrying out the mission of the church. We just sang about it. What is the mission of the church? to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The, the mission of the church, that's Matthew 28, 19, the mission of the church is to take the gospel to the nations. The glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ must be named throughout this earth. And then once we make them disciples, then we are to teach them all that He commanded. The mission of the church, plain and simple. Now, we're called to be unified to do this. But that doesn't mean that we're all the same. We're not, like, we're not called to be like the little green aliens in Toy Story. You remember those little green aliens. They, you may recall there's a scene in the, in the arcade where Buzz Lightyear is asked who was in charge of them. They all answered in unity with one voice as they pointed upward. And they said, the claw. Beloved church, Jesus does not call His church to that type of unity. We are called to be unified in our diversity. We're all different. Each one of us are different. We've, been, we've come from diverse backgrounds and cultures. Some of you are from the city, and I, I forgive you for that. Some of you are from the country, and I might love you. No, I'm just kidding. Some grew up with money, while others had little. Some of you look different. Some have darker skin, others lighter. There's different facial features. We're different, we're diverse, and that's good. But now that we're in the church, we're all called to be unified in the Spirit. We're one in the Spirit. That's Paul's point in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. We have been granted... We, we're, we're one, but we've been granted different gifts of the Spirit, all for the purpose of bringing unity to the body of Christ. We're not like those little green men at all. We're unified, but we're unified in our differences, in our diversity. That's, what God get, that's how God gets the glory. He doesn't make us all alike. He makes us unified in our differences. I can remember coming to church the first time as I was a Christian, I remember thinking, I, I, was, I was a young Christian, probably a little fleshly, probably a lot fleshly, and I remember thinking, I wouldn't be friends with you outside of the church. But realizing that there's a bond in the Spirit that we all have, and it brings together people who wouldn't otherwise be together. In verse 11, Paul begins to argue that Christ gave some incredibly specific gifts to build His church. He gave gifts for the foundation of the church, the apostles and prophets. And he gave gifts for the framing of the church, the evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now this brings us to our text for this morning. Today we'll begin to look at the purposes of these gifts, which most, but most particularly, I would argue, we're going to be looking at the purpose of the pastors and teachers. And I hope to be able to show you that. In these verses, if you have your bulletin, you have the, the proposition outlined. In these verses, Paul gives four key purposes of the gifts which Christ has imparted or granted to the church. We will study the first two this week, and we'll leave the, the final two for next week. Christ, or Jesus, <clears throat> has granted the gifts for what we will call the finished work. So we've seen the foundation. We've seen the framing. Now we're going to look at the finished work. So let's look at point one. Jesus granted the gifts to build maturity. Now this brings us back to Ephesians 4.12 in our exposition. 
of this letter. Now, last Sunday, I tried to give you a sense of the structure of verse 11 to help understand Paul's intent. I argued that Paul is explaining what I call, what I've dubbed the telescopic effect. At the outset of the church, it was mainly the apostles who were sent into new regions and territories uh, for the church for the, to, to share the gospel and to begin to build the church. In a sense, you could see the apostles were the generals of Christ's church. They went into new regions and they began to proclaim the gospel and they won souls for Christ and they began teaching the doctrine. After the apostles began winning souls and establishing churches, the prophets were sent by Christ into these regions. They were raised up. Uh, you could say the prophets were the colonels. They, they proclaimed the apostles' teachings and they protected these fledgling churches. They helped transition the church from the time of the apostles until the canon of the New Testament, which represented the apostles' teachings, was fully formed. In other words, Jesus would send, he, he would send the, what we would call the special forces. These were the evangelists. These were the, I'm sorry, in other instances, he would send the special forces. These were the evangelists. They were gifted at proclaiming the gospel, but, and many of them, if not all of them, were also gifted and granted gifts, that is, of healing and miracles. These miracles proved that they spoke on the authority of God. We saw this as an example of this with Philip in Acts chapter 8. Ultimately, the goal was for each church to be established enough to be left in the hands of the pastors and teachers. And I believe that's the model. So ultimately, the church would mature enough and be established so that the pastors and teachers would then grow or work to grow the church to maturity and unity. Now last week, we looked at 2 Timothy 4 5, where Paul called Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. 2 Timothy was written several years before, uh, or several years after, that is, Ephesus was planted. And it, it was a mature ministry. And this indicates that as, this seems to indicate that as the church matured, as the church matured, it was left with the pastors and teachers to shepherd the people. Therefore, I would argue that verse 12 mostly describes their ministry. Now, using our building analogy, we've seen the apostles and prophets built the foundation. The foundation including the canon of Scripture. The, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers uh, built the frame of the building. And the pastor teachers were then left in place to do the finished work. Now, you should clearly see the transition of the work of the apostles and prophets. So you have the apostles and prophets on one side, the transition from the apostles and prophets to the pastors and teachers on the other side. We should recognize then our Lord's brilliant strategy for church growth. And we're not talking about growth in numbers, although there were obviously people coming into the church at an, at an amazing rate. But we're more talking about growing the church in maturity and unity. So let us look closely at verse 12 as we study this finishing work or finished work. Let's look at the first aspect of this finished work. The ministry of equipping. In verse 12, if you look at your text, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints. So we see that Jesus gave these gifts in verse 11 for equipping. Now the Greek word translated equipping is a medical term. It has the idea of setting a broken limb or the restoration of a shoulder. In New Testament times, it is also used of furnishing a room. Paul uses that the noun form of the word, which is actually very rare, but the verb form is used widely in Scripture. The verb form has the idea of, of adjusting, putting in order, restoring, or equipping. It also can have the idea of instruction or training. It was used, I mean, it's a wide range of use. It was used of restoring or mending fishing nets in Mark 1.19. It was used of putting things in proper order 
or completing something or furnishing something in Romans 9.22 and, and Hebrews 10.5. But it was also used of perfecting in Matthew 21.16 and instructing in Luke 6.40. Now, in the context of Ephesians 4.12, it has the idea of perfecting or even preparing the church. This process includes the instructing and equipping of believers so that they can properly use their gifts in the church. Therefore, these gifts, or more precisely, those who are gifted, the apostles, the, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, are granted to the church to instruct and equip believers to effectively use their own gifting. You see, we must realize that, that the gifts, we're given the gifts of salvation, but we, those gifts must, be, uh, must interact with training, if you will, to bring a, a, an individual to full maturity. A person may be gifted, but they may, must be shown they must be trained how to use their gifts. When a, a new, when a person becomes a new believer, uh, we don't know how the Holy Spirit has gifted them, but they must be uh, begin to be equipped and they begin to serve, and which these things will begin to expose their gifting. They'll begin to drift and 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 naturally move toward those things that they do well, not their talents. But we're talking about their gifts. We're talking about how the Holy Spirit is using them in the body. And the gifts of the Spirit are crucial then for a church's growth and maturity, crucial in its maturation. But the church, I mean, the gifts are critical, but the church must also have the means to instruct and equip, to train everyone such that the gifts the per, each person's gifts can be honed. Colossians 1.28 captures this idea. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man. And we could translate that every person and teaching every person with all wisdom and, so that we may present every person or every one complete in Christ. And Paul says in verse 29 and 29, for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. <clears throat> so Paul says that it's for this purpose, for the purpose of, of teaching uh, every person, everyone, with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. He says, I labor for this. I've given my life for this. And he does this according to the power of God, which mightily works within him. He does this so that every church, or every person that is in the church, will have the eyes of their hearts enlightened to know the surpassing greatness of the power of God that dwells within them. You see, if we're not using our gifts, if we're not equipped to use our gifts, we can't realize God's power, can we? Paul says, I, I labor. I labor to see this happen. He was given to this task. Now, I would argue that the task of equipping the saints has been passed along to gifted shepherds and teachers. Remember I said that the, the ministry of the apostles and the prophets are, are, has been taken up by the pastors and teachers, right? So I would argue that this ministry has been passed along as the, as the uh, apostles have left the scene, as the prophets have left the scene, uh, the shepherds and teachers continue to do this ministry long after they have, the, the apostles have left. It's our main ministry. Our main ministry is to equip you. For what? Well, let's look at the, the purpose of the equipping. And it's for the work of service. Look at your text. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Now some of you, I'm sorry, some of some of that, let me say that again, some have taken this to be a part of the work of the gifted folks in verse 11. That not only are they to equip, but they're also to do the work of the service. In other words, in other words, this creates a, a dichotomy between the clergy and the laity. 
But that's a dichotomy that I don't believe is supported in the New Testament. So we must answer the question, what is Paul's intent here? Now, I believe that the, the New English translation, which I use a lot, the, the Net Bible, best captures Paul's intention, intentions. It says this in verse 12, that, that he gave the apostles and prophets and the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that is, to build up the body of Christ. So the idea here is that, that we are, the equipping is focused on, uh, focused on the work of the ministry being done by those who are being equipped. They take it then that the main purpose of the gifts in verse 11 is to equip the saints to do the work. And the purpose of the work is to build up the body of Christ. You see the point? I'm just like one of you guys. No different. I'm here to do the work of the service as well. So it's not as if I'm separate from that. But if it's just me doing the work, or if it's just two or three of us doing the work, how effective do you think we'll be as a church? Not real effective, right? But the beauty of this model is that it's not just me, and it's not just a few chosen few doing the work. We're here to equip you, the body of Christ, to do the work of the service. Now, the Greek word, which the NAS translates service, can also be translated ministry. The idea just simply is the service to the Lord. In other words, the work of the pastors and teachers is, equipped, is to equip the saints to serve the Lord and to serve one another and to take the gospel to the lost, to fulfill the ministry or the mission of the church. In Acts 20.24, Paul used the same word to describe his ministry to the Ephesian elders. So he's talked about himself as an apostle, but that he talked about that and he described his work that way. But in 1 Corinthians 16.15, he uses, it more, uses this word more generally of others. In 16.15, it says this, and I think this is instructive. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. And it says this, And they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. So we have this family, this household, that has become believers, the first fruit of, of Achaia, and they've devoted themselves to the ministry. They didn't wait for Paul to do all the ministry. They didn't wait for the others to do all the ministry. They devoted themselves to the ministry. And that's the model. That's the model. You guys do the ministry, along with, along with people like myself. Here at Grace Bible Church, one of our ministry pillars is the equipping of the saints. Right now, there are a few avenues for this ministry. We have our preaching ministry. We believe that our equipping ministry starts with the preaching. So it starts with the pulpit here on a Sunday morning. The first goal of our preaching is to exalt our Savior. The second goal is to explain. We do that by explaining Scripture. But we do this in hopes of equipping the saints. I want you to be equipped for ministry. And that process starts here, from the pulpit. Jamie Dunlop of Nine Marks Ministry says this, The ministry of the Word begins with preaching that gives our people the tools to pick up the Word and become ministers themselves, end quote. That's the, that's the purpose of the preaching, is to give you the tools to show you how to interpret the Word so that you can understand it for yourself. I was watching a... I was watching a um, documentary on an Amish community. And in this Amish community, they had, they had a, the Bible, 
but the Bible was in German. And not, not modern German, but old German. And so nobody, most of the people in the, in the Amish community, they were done with education at the eighth grade. So nobody, they, they focused on hard work, physical labor, but nobody, or very, very few people knew how to read the actual Bible. And so some of these people, some of the young folks would get English Bibles, and they would start reading the English Bibles, and they would go to the elders of the people, and they would say, wait a minute, the, the Bible doesn't say this. The Bible says this. You know, so they would actually be able to read the, the Word of God on their own and interpret the Word of God on their own. We, we take for granted, especially in a community like this, I'm talking about us, this community of this church, we take for granted what we have in the Bible, that you can actually take the Bible, the English translation of the Bible, and you can read it, and you can understand it, and you can interpret it. And my job is to help you with that. But the Sunday morning sermon isn't the finish line. By the way, on this Amish community, people are coming to know Christ because they're reading the Bible. And, and they're getting excommunicated and they're losing their families. They're literally, literally losing their livelihoods. Everything that they know, they're losing it because of, because of the gospel. It's, it's, a, it's a mini reformation within the Amish community. It's incredible. But the Sunday morning sermon isn't the finish line. Jamie Dunlop goes on to say the Sunday morning sermon isn't the finish line for word ministry. It's the starting line. It's the beginning of the real work as the congregation takes God's word and puts it to work through the week. So the idea is that you go and you take what I teach you or what's taught from the pulpit. It doesn't have to be me, but what you take what's been taught from the pulpit and you go and you use it. And we have other means of equipping, such as the men's and women's Bible study, youth study, personal discipleship. And we're, we're praying that Christ will raise up more teachers and more shepherds and, and will bring us more gifted people to, to equip the church for the work. Maybe you are one of those. Maybe Christ will raise you up to join this equipping ministry, and, or maybe not. Either way, I, I ask and I beg you to pray for more shepherds and more teachers to guide this church. We need more equipping. I'm thankful for what the Lord has provided, but we need more. We need more people equipping the saints. At the end of verse 12, Paul gives the immediate goal of, of equipping. Look at your text. Again, I think the... That Bible, the New English translation, captures this well. It says, it says that is to build up the body of Christ. The goal of teaching is to build the body of Christ. The word translated build up actually has the idea of a building. Again, we can't get away from the, the building idea here. More particularly, it refers to a building that is in process, in the process of construction. In building construction, we, we talked about last week, the contractor builds the foundation first. Matter of fact, one of you sent me pictures of their foundation of their new home, and I'm thankful for it. But next, after that, comes the framing and the roof. After this, the process seems to slow again as systems such as electrical and plumbing are installed. Then comes what I call the finished work. The sheetrock, the cabinets, the fixtures, the paint, the flooring. All these things take much time and effort and may seem to take forever. Now, when we apply this analogy to the church, particularly church planting, church planting, that is, we must, we must understand that we must, or we must realize that we need to be slow as we build upon the foundation to ensure that we're founding the church on the apostles' teaching. Part of this process is ensuring that everyone involved with leadership is committed to building upon the right foundation. We can't have leaders who are divergent in that. We have to have leaders who are focused on building on the right foundation. And we have to have leaders also who are qualified to do the work. So it takes some time. It takes time to understand what, where we are and assess our situation as we begin to build upon that foundation. But that, that work is incredibly crucial in the future of the church. 
So therefore we must urge patience as we begin to implement the necessary systems. Our ministry pillars would be one of those things that, that set us on the right path in terms of how we do ministry. We must also realize that the work is difficult. And some will even fall away because of the challenge. Many times, entire ministries fail because, they, because those are in, who are involved underestimate the difficulty of the work. They underestimate the difficulty of the undertaking. And so they, they say, I can't do this, I'm out. And sometimes entire ministries can fail because too many people do that. And I think the reason is, the last we must, the reason is because we must recognize the progress can be and generally is imperceptible. The progress is imperceptible because it involves God working in the minds and hearts of his people. And I challenge you, you won't be able to see that, at least while it's going on. You see the results. See the results, but you won't necessarily see the progress. Church is not a physical building, but it is a living and growing organism composed of living believers. Therefore, we recognize that the progress in a church, the progress of a church, may be measured in years or even decades. We can't expect in a year or two or three or four even, we can't expect to necessarily see the progress that we want. Especially in this day and age where we can put something in the microwave and a minute later it's hot. Or we can, we can go and order something on the internet and a day or two later we have it at our home. We come to expect it now. But that's not how the church works. That's not how God works. We get a glimpse of this in Acts 20 where Paul tells the elders at Ephesus, he says in verse 31, this is Acts 20, 31, Therefore be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of what? Three years. So Paul was there for a period of three years. He says, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Now I'm here to tell you that Paul is a much more gifted man than any one of us. And he labored for three years. He did not cease laboring. In verse 32, he says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. So what is the, what is the, the way that we're built up? It's by the word, by the word of His grace. In verse 32, he actually uses the same word he uses in Ephesians 4.12. The idea of build up, this building, this, this building, this, this being built up, it's in process, constantly in process. There's constantly a, an in and an out, and there's constant growth that's happening within the church. It never stops. Let's quickly look at point number two. For that, that is the second key purpose for the gifts. Verse 11. Jesus granted the gifts to build unity. Final goal of equipping is what this is. Paul starts the verse with a little word, until. Said another way, this is a repeating process. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Some time ago I used the analogy of Sarah Winchester's home in, in San Jose. She started building that home and she didn't stop until she died. But unlike Sarah's home, which has some incredibly odd features, the house of God fits perfectly together, though it is made up of some rather odd pieces. Do you get that wordplay? That, that Sarah Winchester's is a, an odd home, but the Word of God is a perfect building, though it's made up of odd pieces like me. But since this is a repeating process, Jesus will continue to grant shepherds and teachers to the church until he comes. He'll just continue. I, I've heard many people say, you know, some of the some of our heroes of the faith, current 21st century, 20th, 21st century heroes of the faith are passing away. Uh, R.C. Sproul uh, is, is uh, gone, and, 
and there are others. Uh, you know, we got MacArthur that's way up there. You got you got several that are that are on the on the cusp. And I've heard people say, I've heard people say, well, who's going to be next? Who's going to be the next guys? I, I'm not worried about that. You know why I'm not worried about that? Because God will continue, Christ will continue to give teachers and shepherds to His church. He'll continue to raise those men up. Now I realize that there may be times that that is weaker than others. But He will continue to give us the teachers and the the shepherds that we need. He says that He'll do this until every saint attains to, we all, that is, every saint attains to the unity of the faith. This goes back to the one faith mentioned in 4 or 5. There is one faith, but if there are immature believers, those who, uh, there's one faith, but, but there are immature believers, those who lack the knowledge of the truth. And so they have to be built up so that they, they have that, or attain to that one faith. And it's the, the job of the shepherds and teachers to continue to equip. We keep equipping until all attain to the true knowledge of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. We keep equipping until more than, until most of you, or hopefully all of you, we keep equipping that is to all of you, understand who Christ even is. Going back to that survey I, rec- I referenced earlier. It's imperative to note that it is until we all attain to the unity of faith and the true knowledge of God. In other words, as the body matures, unity is the result. Harold Honer says this. He says this, A sign of immaturity is disunity of the body. Often we think of spiritual maturity as only individual growth in the Lord. But in this passage, the emphasis is on the importance of body growth, resulting in unity. Inversely, Immaturity is individual growth not shared with the body with the result that the body lacks maturity. You understand that? It would be me, as an example, growing and learning, but never really sharing it with you. It would be me giving you milk instead of, uh, instead of spiritual food to eat. I need to, as I grow... As I grow in the Lord, as I grow in my gifting, I need to give that to you. It's not just on me. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 3, 1-4. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and the other says, I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? The point is, is that this immaturity has led to great division within the church. So if you see division in the church, you can be guaranteed there's there's an immaturity. John MacArthur says this, The church's obedience is a living testimony to the world. There are many things that hurt a church in its testimony. The primary one is poor leadership who failed to build the church on the Word of God. We talked about that. But another thing, he says, is a congregation that won't follow sound leadership. Beloved, the church must have matured and gifted leaders who are willing to lay down their lives for the brethren by equipping them in the Word of God. But this is a two-way street. The congregation must recognize the voice of Christ and follow Him by following His under-shepherds. You see, Christ's under-shepherds are called to preach the truth of the Word of God. They're called to pray that God will establish you in His Word, and they're called to pray that many will join in this equipping process so that it will continue over and over and over. And we do this in hope that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart to do the work of service which builds and unifies the church. Sadly, Sadly, many folks sit and wait for change to be brought about by leadership. But that's not Christ's model. 
Jamie Dunlap explains it this way. Christ gave the church ministers of the word not to effect change, but to equip others to effect change, end quote. Now, I don't think he's minimizing the role of teaching and shepherding. I think he's actually highlighting. But he's, at, he's saying, look, in order that, that they have their greatest effect, is when they, they have their greatest effect, that is, is when they are passed on to others in Christ. So the answer to immaturity and fleshliness, which causes malaise and, and division, is to continue the equipping process. That's the answer. As boring as that might be, that's the answer. When there's division, and when there's malaise, when, it, when people don't want to move forward, the answer is to continue to preach and equip, to continue to do this process until we see the movement forward. Ultimately, this equipping process continues until we all reach completeness. To a mature man, to the perfect man, this completeness or perfection can only be measured by the perfections of Christ. You see, Christ is our standard of perfection. Therefore, the final goal of this equipping is that every person be like Christ. This harkens back to Colossians 1.28, where present every person, teleos, complete in Christ. It is for this that we must labor, just like Paul, until Christ is formed in all of you. This should be the final and ultimate goal of every church that names the name of Christ. Not to entertain. Our goal must be, our goal must be to equip. And we continue to do that until we present every person complete in Christ. We continue to do that until Christ is fully formed in all of you. But we've seen the first two of these key purposes of the spiritual gifts. I pray that Grace Bible Church will continue to grow in its commitment to equip the saints and build maturity and build unity. Let me give you a, free, a few practical steps very quickly to apply this teaching. If you're not a member of Grace Bible Church, you need to join. By becoming a member, you're saying that you don't want to stay on the fringes. You are committing to the work. And the main work is to be equipped for the work of service. Two, if you're not serving regularly, then you, you need to consider serving in one of our ministries. And if it doesn't exist yet, then let's help get it going. Serve with all your heart. Serve with the joy of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Third, if you're not giving to the Lord's work here at Grace Bible Church, please consider doing so. Now, I don't, as most of you know, I don't ask for money very often. But we have to recognize the need the need for money to pay for the ministry. And we have a desire to support a full-time pastor. This takes commitment from the body of Christ. We also have a future desire to see ministry, that is, grow, and to bring on other equippers to lead you. That's the hope, is that we'll see this ministry grow and we'll bring on other equippers, and that takes money to do so. It takes commitment. So if you're not giving regularly to the Lord's work, please consider doing so. Fourth, and most importantly, if you haven't trusted Christ for your salvation, then I beg you to call out to Him to save you. You see, beloved, this is Jesus' church. If you are a believer here today, you are, we are Jesus' people. That's, very, that's a very important distinction. If this is his church and we are his people, by the way, that's the same thing, saying the same thing, then if you're not, if you don't love Christ, you're not really a part of his people. If you don't love his church, then you may not be one of his people. 
If this describes you, then I beg you to trust Him to save you. I beg you to trust in His finished and saving work on the cross to save you. Christ is what we need. Christ is all we need. I beg you to see this. If you want to know more, please reach out to me. Or even another mature Christian to help you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Despite all the struggles of uh, getting going this morning, you were good to us. You have blessed us. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of this word. In Christ's name.